Bill, I think you and I can do that joke, but <laughs> we have enough technical issues with PJ. William. We got to be got to keep it real. Well, that's good. Uh, now, now I can. Okay. Really? Can you yeah, guys hear me okay? Clear. Yeah, I just thought it was another one of your stupid jokes. I don't joke around about serious okay. shit like this, right. PJ. This is, very, this is serious this is stuff. Serious. How's your um, golf bag? Is it making you play any better or what? Um, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not. The golf bag performed flawlessly. Nice bags, myself. aren't they? All joking aside, they are. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's a, really a really nice really bag. bag. Perfect. I've had so many people yeah, ask perfect. me about it as well. You know, oh, no, I appreciate it. I rep- I didn't represent it well, but I will going right, forward. Right. There's not many people so. that would appreciate a golf bag like that, but I knew that you would. I, I do. I do appreciate it. I do appreciate it. So no regrets then, PJ? None at all. I know it's good. It's gone to a, a well-deserved owner that will take good care of it. It's a little um, bit like when you forward on your car, when you sell your car, an old favorite car to somebody, you want to know it's going yeah. into a, Ooh, a place. place. That's going to get Already packing, come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. What about this? This call is being recorded. Fans, we are back for another edition of the Roundup, catching up with the weekly headlines and results from the professional tour because the college squash season is over. I'm back with my two favorite co-hosts, Bill Buckingham and PJ Paul Johnson. Guys, how are you doing? Uh, good morning, chaps. Yeah, very well, thank you. Uh, back in London at the moment. Uh, the the junior season came to an end. We had the US Nationals about 10 days ago. And uh, as the end of the season comes, the, a lot of the juniors down tools and take a bit of a break, which then gives me an opportunity to get back to London and spend time with some family and uh, close friends, which is always a, a fun time. Actually nursing a little bit of a tennis elbow injury as well. So I've got to get some treatment on that while I'm here. But Is that from too much golf? Uh, no, too much coaching, too much on-court uh, coaching. I wish it was a golf-inflicted okay. uh, in- injury, uh, Connor, but unfortunately not. It's purely related to uh, too many lessons and churning out the hours on the squash court being the, you know, consummate grafter and, and professional coach that I am. With the British Open coming up, PJ, will this affect your, your announcing at all for uh, Squash TV? It's, the it certainly means it will do. I'll have to use my right hand to hold the microphone. So that it could be problematic. Obviously, eight matches in a day. And um, I'm have to try and get Joey Barrington to, at times, just support and hold the mic for me. Which And you know what he's like, uh, doing things for other people. Lift, so, yeah. lift it up for you. A exactly. lot, lot, of, lot of pressure because you've been missing from the PSA broadcast and the people who have stepped in. I mean, Lisa Aitken, Lisa Aitken getting plaudits like, wow, is, is PJ out, Lisa Aitken in? I mean, I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's what I'm reading on the message boards. Just word Thought, on the thoughts? street. I'm not too concerned about my job being in jeopardy. We'll just leave it at that, I think. I'm not okay. too concerned. Okay, I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I wasn't saying it was in jeopardy. I'm just saying, I'm just talking about the fan. The fan it used to be G, Joey and PJ were the number one team, and now it's kind of like you know when like Tony Romo stepped in for yep. you know, and it, it just people people now have a choice. There's a clear choice out there, and people people are making that choice. Is all I'm saying. I'm all for diversity and options and um, what have you, but um, I'm I'm still pretty confident that that Joey and I will still be atop of that table. Okay. If push comes, the dynamic the duo. Dynamic duo. All right. Yeah. Uh, Batman and Robin. <laughs> How was your weekend, Connor? It was good. I mean, uh, the weather's turning here in DC, so I was able to get out. Um, in fact, 
I mean, I have to be with my pale skin. I have to be careful if we change the light bulbs indoors. Um, you know, so I was sitting outside, uh, having like you know uh, lunch. It was around noon or one p.m. And um, later that day, I was taking a shower and I was like, my face hurts, and I got a sunburn. Wow! <laughs> I was on wow. outside for like an hour. So um, doing that, and then also trying, still trying to put my um, apartment together. So getting into photography or you know paintings, pictures, and furniture. So I, I thought you guys would appreciate the uh, the yellow paint behind yeah, me. Yeah, you you are loving the yellow paint. Where are the weights? Uh, the weights are down yeah. here by my side. I can't, wait to, I can't yeah. wait to see you the next time in person, Connor. With your fifty, you 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 lost fifty pounds. I have so yeah. looking looking forward to, to seeing. What's that? Connor. What's that through, Connor? The, I mean, the stresses of moving, or just <laughs> exercise, diet, no, I mean, or what have you? Exercise, diet, sleep, all all the uh, good, all all the obvious. Good. Yeah, awesome. I'm feeling awesome. better for it. Obviously, yeah. obviously, looking better as Bill said, but you feel better. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, Brilliant. here I'll, I'll show you. Are we uh, going to see it before and after? I sent PJ PJ a before picture of me. Um, uh, uh, I don't I don't know if you saw that or not, PJ. Did you ever get that? I did. I actually thought it was. Uh, a photo of John Candy. <laughs> Big. So, oh wait, I didn't see this. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, really? I, P, PJ was commenting. Uh, I had sent him some food recommendations for when he was um, uh, at, uh, doing some announcing, and um, or no, he was going to the Junior Closed. So uh, in Philly, so I sent him some food options, and he said he was surprised how thin I am, considering how much I eat and how you know into food I am. So I sent him a a before <laughs> Bill picture. It was actually a picture of me and Phil Sims. That was Phil Sims, the old giant quarterback in that photo. Um, uh, oh, PJ wow. and yeah, I was uh, I was quite big. I was uh, I was tipping the scales at near two fifty. Wow! Wow! Yeah. yeah. So yeah, well, you gonna send that? Put that in the group chat. I will. Maybe we'll put it on the uh, put it on the um, promo for the podcast. That can be the title. There, yeah. There you go. Yeah, great idea. Yeah. So so I had a um, last week. I had a, a yeah, Bill. Bill, what well, about well, you? I was waiting. I was waiting for someone to ask because um, you know, as we as we know, I do live the the, the more thrilling life of the three of us. So um, so uh, so I went to the Yankee game. I think you're just more willing to share no, more of your life. That is true. That is true. I right, went Bill, to the Yankee game. Yeah, Let's your, start again. Your weekend. My weekend. Your weekend. Okay, here we go. Okay. How was this your weekend? Is, we'll keep this brief because we know the people want to talk about squash. Thursday, went to the Yankee home opener. Uh, was invited by a friend of mine. Hadn't been to a Yankee home opener since two. 2016, I don't believe, and didn't go to a game at all last year, which is unusual for me. So um, sat in uh, the Delta Suite, which is right behind home plate, the second deck. So just fabulous seats. But the drawback was it's prime foul ball territory. I mean, <laughs> balls are like zinging up there. And so these this these folks were sitting next to me, to my immediate left, and it was a woman and her husband, and they were season ticket holders. And I asked them, I said, do you get a lot of foul balls come up this way? She goes, I've gotten at least 20. No way. And I said, holy cow. I said, I said, well, what do you do with them? And she goes, oh, they're just in my drawer. I was like, exactly. I said, so just so you know, if a foul ball comes this way, I am not trying to catch it. I'm going to duck. I'm probably going to throw you in the way of it. I'm going to get out of the way. I have no interest in catching a foul ball. Like none, none. And she's like laughing. Ha ha, funny, funny. And I told the guy to my right who was part of our group also the same thing. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay. Da, da. Sure enough, third inning, sitting there, a vicious ball line drive off the back comes right over the backstop right over the screen like literally inches over the screen that comes hurtling at me at a hundred and something miles an hour or whatever it would be i totally moved ducked hid myself like i was being (laughs) like hiding from a bomb the ball (laughs) grazed off my leg and hit the back of my seat which i had like leaned over so the back of my seat was exposed and hit that like it sounded like a explosion when it hit it like wow bam Smack and flew seven rows to the front row where some guy caught it. 
I would have got killed. I would have died if it had hit me. And everybody's yelling at me, like, why didn't you try to catch it? Why did you bail? I said, look, what am I going to do with a foul ball if I catch it, number one? And number two, we're going to break a finger trying to catch a foul ball like a baseball? No. I'm 60 years old. There's no chance I'm doing that. And I told all of you people ahead of time there was no chance, and you all laughed. And then when I did it, you're, like, shocked that I did it. <laughs> so crazy, craziness. So, of course, the rest of the game, anytime a foul ball came within 100 yards of everybody was like, Buck, duck, duck, duck. Ooh. It's going to get you. So, so that was fun. Uh, going to a Yankee game was fun. And then on Friday, and only because I want to um, thank PJ for the golf bag that he got, he uh, he gifted me. Um, it was dropped off to me last week, and I played uh, the Philly Cricket Club um, wow. with uh, Gilly Lane, the uh, coach of uh, UPenn, uh, and a couple of former colleague, uh, a current colleague and former colleague, Rich Wade, uh, who is the pro at the Philly Cricket Club, who uh, was the tournament director for the Chestnut Hill Academy at Chestnut Hill Academy at Chestnut Hill Academy Springside um, uh, tournament up up in Philly a couple weeks ago. Nailing the landing there. (laughs) I thought you were going to miss Springside, but you got it. So awesome course. I played like a dog, PJ. I played. If you thought I played like a dog with you, I I played worse. I didn't think that that could get any worse, Bill. Oh, it was so bad. So we, we were... Were you getting off the tees oh, on the drive? Well, so here's my excuse, and I'm not an excuse maker when it comes to golf. You can't I blame the bag. You cannot blame no. the bag. Right. I stink at golf, so that's that's the bottom line, and I understand that. But we played the course at 6,800 yards. Oh boy! Yeah. yeah. Wow. So I got to answer your question, Connor. Yes, I got off the tees, but I would get off the tees, and I'd still on a par four have 190 yards in. So basically, I, I'm That's having a, to hit three woods on my second shots almost every hole, or like a like a four iron. And I mean, I can't. I'm not that good. I'm a I'm think, a 16 handicap. I can't string shots like that together. PJ, is that what a pitching wedge for you and a, a nine iron? One ninety downwind, probably an eight iron for me, Connor. That would be wind assisted. <laughs> yeah. Just I'd have exactly. to step on an eight iron for the for that exactly. One. So uh, playing with with Rich Wade and Harry Smith, my colleague, uh, yeah. Rich shot 74. Yeah, Rich Harry shot set. Yeah. Harry shot seventy five. Between them, they had eleven birdies. Wow, it was that's a amazing. I used, and a half. I used to play with Rich when he first moved to Connecticut, and I would have put him down at maybe between a, a six and a an eight handicapper. Yeah, so we we were three up with five to play, playing match play, completely melted down on the sixteenth hole. I had a two and a half foot putt that would have halved the hole and kept us one up going into seventeen. <laughs> Rimmed, horseshoed the cup, of course. So now we're even. Harry, a, a Gilly was getting a shot on 17, and he's basically has like a five-footer for a net birdie. So Rich is off the green and chips in for a natural birdie. No. Yes. Just epic. <laughs> epic chip in. And these greens, these greens were rolling. I mean, it was a downhill. He just he chipped, and it just hit the and just rolled for like 30 feet into the cup. Gilly, nerves of steel rolled his net birdie on top of it. So we we are even going into the into the last hole where Harry Smith had like a, a 12 foot putt on 18 to beat us. It was it was wow. we collapsed completely but they they won it in the end. So Harry actually, Harry sunk the putt for the win on 18. Harry sunk the putt for yeah. the win on 18. Wow. Yeah, for 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 a, a, a natural par. That sounds like a great night. game though. It was. Yeah. It was a really good game. It was a lot of fun. And then we went to the Ye Old Ale House which is in the Philly suburbs and had ridiculous roast beef sandwiches and then uh that night, like I have to give a shout out best? to Adam. Yes. Oh, yeah. You got to go to this place. Ye what Old about Ale the place House, who, I you and I went downtown? Better? Yes. Really? Better. Better. Yeah. Wow. Ye Old Ale House is a step above. 
And it made up for that night. Uh, Adam Hamill, another former colleague, former national teams director at Yusquash, brought me out to a place called Winnie's for dinner in Maniunk. And it was probably some of the worst food I've ever eaten in my life. It was completely unedible, horrible. And I just, I know Adam listens to the podcast. So thank you for bringing me out, Adam. Well, if uh, if any of the listeners have made it this far, should we? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, we tell well, we're transition. Definitely, we're going to cover the squash that happened. So we had a, a, a squash. Uh, uh, the Canadian Open, the Women's Canadian Open, happened. Um, <laughs> Amanda Sobe uh, took that. So we will talk about that. We will talk about um, pickleball. If uh, anybody watched Pickle Slam this weekend with uh, the tennis Hall of Famers who participated in it, we could touch on that. We're going to touch on Alex Goff's uh, interview with Barry Gibbs, uh, in which he discusses the refereeing, uh, the possibility of pro refereeing. Um, and then we'll just talk about a little bit, uh, a brief, brief pre- preview on the US, the British Open, which starts uh, a week from uh, Tuesday. Sound good? Love it. Sounds good to me. Can't wait. It's my yellow paint. Let's go. Exactly. So, so let's let's get into the squash that happened. And talking about the the Philly Cricket Club, the there was actually a satellite event, and I, I know this is a little bit of a curveball for you uh, guys, but you might get where I'm going to. Uh, there was a a satellite event at the Liverpool Cricket Club uh, that took place last week. It was both a men's and a women's. I believe it was a six k. And what made it interesting was that the um, two finalists, uh, Tori Malik. 19-year-old Tori Malik, one of the up-and-coming junior players in England, uh, number 85 in the world, won her second straight satellite event uh, on, on the women's side. And on the men's side, um, her brother, Perry Malik, um, made it to the final and lost to Ben Smith. Well, you might say, why Why are we bringing this up? Um, and I see you guys like asking me why I'm bringing it yes. up. Yes. And why are we bringing no, this up? Noteworthy because in the end, Tori, after, after her brother Perry lost, uh, Tori won, and in her speech, uh, her interview on court afterwards, this is what she said after she won. She said, this is why I'm the top dog in the Malik family. There's a reason for this. If he wants to be the top dog, he has to work harder. So basically, Tori Malik throwing shade on her, on her brother, wow. on her brother, Perry. Wow. So I, I don't know if that sounds familiar to you guys at all. Um, so I, that's the only reason I wanted to mention that because, uh, uh, you know, Tori Malik uh, saying, hey, uh, after winning, after winning both the Mozart and the Liverpool um cricket club open she just said hey she's the top dog in the malik family for a reason so there you go a lot of siblings on tour a lot of siblings on tour so um we'll jump off that to the canadian open and uh, in the canadian open amanda sobe uh u.s number one number five player in the world um beat Salmahani in the final in four games after dropping the first game and uh took home the canadian open first time they've had the canadian open at that venue um in 20 years and uh, she she beat Salmahami, so leading into the British Open, a nice win uh, um, for for Amanda for uh, for her confidence going into the British. Comments? Um, <laughs> no, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> we'll cut part of this out. Okay. Um, I mean, the venue itself was absolutely striking to me. I know we kind of touched on it last week, but when they had the day matches on, you can imagine it being pretty tough to play on uh, that light of a court. But, you know, this background over the the week just really, that now stands out to me as one of the best venues I've seen. Like, the pictures are striking. Uh, I really enjoy it. So it was, um, was, that part of it was really great. On the squash side, um, you know, it's great to have the Americans getting that far again. Um, showdown uh, with um, 
uh, Sabrina Sobe, Olivia Klein making a huge run, and um, you know, great to see uh, Amanda pulling home a title. Um, in her acceptance speech, she did say, uh, which I do agree that winning any tournament has its own challenges, um, and for her to get those under her belt to be able to really, uh, I mean, we, we, we pay more attention to the platinums, but with her getting uh, these titles back under her belt, will just help build confidence for how she performs at the bigger events. Oh. Yeah. And she even said she was the favorite in this tournament, which is, there's always added pressure when you're, you're the heavy favorite. It is a bronze tournament. She is number five in the world. So yeah. she is expected to win. And as she said, the competition, and I, I was texting with her this morning, the competition is still tough. And she said, it's, it's good to play well with the added pressure. So, as you, as you said, Connor. Yeah, I think the timing of the event was perfect for Amanda to get some confidence and some, to get plenty of squash in, into a system before she goes into the British Open. And as you just said there, Bill, I think one of the hardest things actually is to win an event as the number one seed because it, it comes with a massive added amount of pressure. Uh, if you look at the rankings, it was she was quite heavily the favourite, but you've still got to go out and, and get the job done. And I think the, the way that she played through that event will hold her in very good stead going into into next week's British Open for sure. So obviously I was joking about Tori Malik and Perry Malik because uh, what I really was referring to for those those uh, squash fans at home uh, is that um, after beating her sister in the semifinal, Amanda, um, what, what I quoted Tori is saying, <laughs> which was... Um, uh, I, there's a reason I'm the uh, the top uh, dog in the Malik family. That was really a quote that it was attributed uh, that was said by Amanda Sobe after her uh, beating Sabrina. She said, "I th- there's a reason why I'm the I'm the top dog in the Sobe family, and you just saw it." So, uh, any thoughts on that, guys? I watched the interview back. Um, I was a little bit surprised, to be honest. I mean, I understand Amanda's obviously on a high after just winning the match and and. You could see that she was quite elated with that sort of performance. She may say that the, the comments were made with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek uh, and a little bit of a sense of humour and a bit of a joke in there. I think it was quite apparent to see that there's a sibling rivalry between her and her sister. And I, the, the fact that she's brought reference to that I'm no psychologist, but that would lead me to believe that she obviously sees her sister as a threat. The fact that she has to, to bring attention to that. Um, I think she may possibly, I may be wrong, but I think she'll actually regret the comments. I, I think a lot of people who know Amanda, I think some people will lose a little bit of respect for her. I mean, of all the siblings that I know that have played on the tour, the McEnroe's, you look at the, the Williams sisters, I don't ever remember one sibling bad trash talking or bad mouthing the sibling, especially if they're the better of the, the two players or the higher ranked of the two players. When you look at the Williams sisters, for example, they would always be there watching each other play. And every time you heard them talk and interviewed, it was only ever positive reinforcement and, and an admiration for what their um, sibling was doing. So f- for that interview, after hearing it, I was actually a little bit surprised um, that Amanda would have come out and said that. I remember, um, I forget what, it might have been the U.S. Open or uh, Wimbledon with Venus when she won, um, and and she was really the only one on the tour at that time, and she says, hey guys, if you think I'm good, watch out for my sister. Like She's unbelievable, which was, which was, it took Serena many, many years after that to get to that level, but it was just like, just like you said, 
uh, PJ offering that support. So, um, I, you know, competition is good. They're both competing out there. Um, so, you know, players can say what they want, but, um, yeah, I think, we, you know, we, if you look at Mohammed and Marwan El Shabagis, the, the two brothers, um, there is obviously a rivalry between the pair of them, but you'll see Mohammed in Marwan's corner and vice versa. But even when they're interviewed, I don't remember hearing Mohammed down talking Marwan in any way and would only ever talk him up and, and want him to do well. Obviously, they, they, with that sibling rivalry, if they play, Mohammed's going to want to, he'll do his utmost to try and beat his brother. But um, another thing that surprised me as well is anybody that I know that's ever seen or spoken or spent any time with Sabrina has nothing but nice, thing, nice things to say about her. She's such a great kid. So I, I think a lot of people, a lot, especially the Sabrina fans, will take a little bit of umbrage and offence to that particular interview and, and think it was a little bit distasteful. Sabrina did clap back at her a bit uh, yeah, in the comments that, on Twitter, yeah. anyway. So when she she said she said now now we're, everyone could see why everyone why why everyone likes me more or something <laughs> to that effect, <laughs> which was pretty funny. It, it would have been uh, well, it would have been uh, better if maybe she threw the uh, the. Uh, the John Cena, uh, I, I can't see you, uh, hand at her. Yeah. Do you guys have any idea what that is? No. no. Why don't you educate us uh, on, uh, come pretty, on guys. You pretty... guys have to, you guys have to start following more sports than squash. So, uh, shout out Angel Reese and, uh, in Caitlin, Caitlin Clark. So, uh, either way, no, uh, either it does add a lot of juice for the, uh, for the U.S. Uh, Nationals coming up in April, obviously. Yeah. So the big four fighting for that title, it should be it should be as good as it gets on the women's side with Victor, uh, Olivia Victor, Olivia Klein, uh, and then the Sobe sisters fighting it out for a national title. So maybe that will add a little bit of incentive for Sabrina. It will be interesting to uh, to see if Sabrina does beat does beat Amanda in that tournament. Um, <laughs> what she has to say. Agreed. Agreed. So, uh, also, Connor, just on your comments on the venue. So, as you guys uh, foreshadowed last week, you said the players would have a bit of a. Some of the players would have a bit of a nightmare on that court. And uh, although it it didn't come across at all during the broadcast, we did get a uh, a uh, tweet from uh, Emily Whitlock, who uh, went no, all notes app on Twitter and wrote a, uh, a manifesto about what a bad experience it was playing on not only that court, but on the courts for the first rounds that she played on said she never felt uh, more uncomfortable on a court in her life and basically called it a disgrace. I mean, could be a little bit of sour grapes. She lost. I mean, everybody plays in the same on the same court when, when it comes to the glass court, she felt that she didn't have enough time to prep for it. She only got a 20 minute hit beforehand. So it kind of foreshadowed what you guys had to say. Uh, she, she went, she went a little, a little dark on it. I won't, I won't go into what she said on the tweet. You guys could read it yourselves, but she, she got a little dark on that tweet. So um, not, not a, I'm not surprised. <laughs> so, so I'm not guys, surprised. It did, yeah. it did, it did look yeah. that way from the photos. And as I did to, in our previous podcast, when I went and played the tournament of champions early rounds in the winter gardens, in a an all glass building in the middle of the afternoon made life extremely difficult. So you know I can some sympathise yeah. somewhat with with Emily's experience, but as Connor also said, aesthetically the the appearance of the court just looks stunning, absolutely stunning. You know? Yeah, it's a trade off, right? Yeah, the, between satisfying your players and satisfying your sponsors, yeah. right? There's got there's there's got to be a happy medium. So uh, hopefully hopefully they could they could reach that at some point. Yeah, so, on, before we on move, the logo side, because I I actually wasn't sure. Um, they did look a little white to me versus you, you try and do uh, either, you know, you, you want it contrasting the ball. Um, so it's it's a fair comment. Um, you know, there are different color selections you can make to help reduce that as a, a point of contention. 
Right. There, and there were a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, oh there my were gosh. a lot of sponsors. <laughs> Before we move on from that, and again, it's one of my favorite favorite things about these tournaments and especially the ones that aren't platinum events or even like high level gold events like the Canary like Canary Wharf where they've been around for a while, is the trophy ceremony for the Canadian Open was I would say so far we've seen like two epic trophy ceremonies this season. One was the WSF women's team championships, which was one of Connor and I's all-time favorites. It was just did, hang on. It was just great. Did you did you see that PJ? No, I've still not seen that. No. Oh my gosh, no. that is that one. That's the bar. That was the bar. That's that was no, the bar. I disagree. It, the, bar the bar will have to be El Guna when Joey Barrington and Lee Beachel had to commentate <laughs> on a firework display. It's about there's a video on YouTube that's about nine minutes long, maybe longer. Yes. which is just the that most one, epic uh, prize-giving ceremony that I've we, ever seen. We, 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 well, the fireworks display at the WSF World Teams is very it close. Is. Yeah, okay. you got to watch it. It's, oh, yeah. oh, it's very close because I know exactly what you're yeah. talking about because let's face it, it's tough to match up to Rami Ashur lip-syncing while fireworks are going <laughs> yeah. on, right? I mean, <laughs> there's tough to match up, but the WSF World Teams came close and the Canadian yeah. Women's Open was unreal. So Amanda wins. Um the um nicole bunyan was the mc and they, you know amanda gave her um talk didn't didn't make fun of sabrina at all during the final didn't make fun of selma honey um didn't tell selma honey she was uh, the top dog in the honey family um but she uh she walked off court and then immediately immediately and i don't know whether they were under a time constraint and maybe this is why they did it and they were told they had to get out of the mall before it closed that night before like wetzel's pretzels closed or whatever whatever is happening um the uh Guy, the the gentleman from uh, Squash Canada gets on court and starts introducing and bringing all the folks on who are going to be part of the ceremony. And as Connor and I always say, the less people, the better, for sure. Like you, you want to have the dignitaries, maybe some sponsors, but keep yeah. keep it to a minimum. He introduced, and I counted twenty one <laughs> people onto the court. But okay, which is fine, you know. And you want to give people their shout outs. Obviously, everybody they, you know, they need a mention. You know, Close knit yep. community. Yep. Yep. They need a mention for sure. But you don't need to bring them all onto the court. But he did. But the best part was because he was such a, in such a hurry to get all these people on the court, they totally forgot to bring out the banners, the tables, and the trophies. So while he is announcing all these people, and these people are streaming onto court, it clicks into the volunteer's head that, hey, there's no banners or trophies out there. And while these people are coming onto court, these people are weaving in and out of them, carrying <laughs> banners, carrying tables, carrying bouquets of flowers. But that was just the warm up. Oh, so the best part of the trophy ceremony by far is the trophy presentation happens. They give the um, the runner up to uh, Salmahani. No, no big deal. So either way, they bring out Jonathan Power, the legend Jonathan Power, to present the um the medal, as it were, to Amanda Sobey as the Canadian Women's uh, the Canadian Women's Open champion. They hand Jonathan Power the microphone, and Jonathan Power proceeds to talk for nearly ten minutes. Oh, was it really and, which ten? Doesn't, was it? It was close to ten I minutes. I think it was a, a inspiring five minutes. Connor, do you agree? At one point, do you think that Jonathan Power kind of forgot where he was and thought that he won the tournament? <laughs> no, I, no. <laughs> No. Yes. I, th- I Dude, think you have to. I think he, PJ watch, watch it. it. I think he, so he, he yeah. No, I don't think he won he thought he won the tournament cuz he's he's very specific about that, but uh I think he was uh enjoying the moment, embracing it and recognize recognizing the moment, <laughs> but did lose but You did, are such a Jonathan Powerophile. No, 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 but but he did lose track of 
why he actually had the microphone. That is a hundred percent the purpose of, the, of why he was handed the microphone. He and he he admitted it. So uh, <laughs> it's like it was like Admiral Stockdale. Stockdale, why am I here? Which I think we've referenced before. He started looking around at all the logos, and I think that's when he lost it. He started looking at all and says, "Hey, look!" And I, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something to the effect of, "Wow, there's a lot of logos on these, and these are all real companies." <laughs> <laughs> and then. He handed after he was done with his stream of consciousness speeches. With that that point, I just Lost like it. I was I was just so so mesmerized. I wanted it to go on forever. He said, handed just looked at Amanda Sobe and handed the microphone to her. And Amanda's like, "What? What am I supposed to do with this?" No, it, and so uh, it, it, it was no, it was the mining. He was handing it back to Jamie, and then Jamie was mining like that. And he's like handing the microphone. He's like, "Oh wait, yes, um, I, I am supposed to present the medal to her." And congratulations to Amanda. Uh, and then he turned and handed the microphone to Amanda, and then Jamie tapped him again on the shoulder and said, oh, by the way, here's the trophy that you're then supposed to hand to Amanda. And he's like, oh, okay. And so he turns around and then grabs that and then drapes it around Amanda's neck. At that point, Amanda is totally lost. She's like, wow. And she she actually kind of made fun of Jonathan Power, which was great. Um, it was very fun. Very When we talk about tongue-in-cheek, she was like, well, he, Jonathan, I expected you to thank all of my sponsors and all my support team for me also. So. Yeah. Um, do yourself a favor. I, if you have Squash TV, watch that closing ceremony. It is the the. It was unreal. I watched it five times. I actually want Jonathan Power to do every trophy ceremony. I kind of do below, also, to be honest below with you. Platinum for sure. I want him to do the WSF uh, Women's Team Championship next year and see the, if we could get more people on the court and just have it go on forever. He and and in the commentary booth, um, he adds a lot of color. So I he I, he he does. <laughs> He does. Did you listen at all, PJ? We would love to have him in there. No, he's uh, he's he's just compelling viewing, isn't he, pal? You just don't know what you're going to get with him. He's just he's got so much. He is a hundred percent compelling, so unique, like no other. And I'm just so glad he's back in the game again because for a while there, I thought we were going to lose him. But um, the fact that he's come back around and he's he's an integral part with some of the pros now is uh, it's great for all of us because I just you know. I'm just mesmerized just watching the guy. He's just he's he's amazing. hundred percent. And he definitely he, he was ready for the for the presentation because he dre- he dressed like a freshman going to like an econ lecture at some college campus. That, that's <laughs> he has his own everywhere. style. He's always everything he does. It's brilliant. He's done the power way. You know. Uh, how how many hoodie sweatshirts do you think he owns? He must oh, own like a hundred. And then some. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I only see yeah. him in hoodie sweatshirts. I know, I was so. a little jet so sh- uh, matching purple uh, outfit. I was like, damn, where, where can I pick up <laughs> exactly. one of those? And by the way, I have a Swash Skills um, account, and if you would like to watch the Jonathan Power. So after the three parts are over, so it, part two gets dropped today, I watched part one. It was excellent. It really was Ooh. excellent. So I, I'm excited okay. for parts two and three. If, if you thought Jonathan Power talking uh, on the in the trophy ceremony was great, in the squash skills documentary, it is better better than that. It is really, really compelling, as PJ points out. He is a very yeah. compelling individual. He, yeah, I mean he's he so, is a he's a rock star. So after you guys have a chance to watch all three, we'll okay, do a so, uh, a review yeah, on it. So, should, should we should we do, do you think it's enough to do a dedicated one? Are we gonna have to do a special yeah, dedicated? Yeah. Okay. No, no, we should do a special dedicated Jonathan Power and maybe get Jonathan Power on to talk about it. Even PJ, you have that kind of juice. You get JP I can't on promise us? anything. Um, all depends on what kind of mood Jonathan's in. Some days he'll be willing to do it, other days possibly not. But uh, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll see if we can get him at the it's right time. We'll entice, we'll he'll, he'll probably be coming over yeah. to Birmingham. Okay. 
because he'll be uh, watching Diego. So I'll, I'll give him a nudge and, yeah. and see, mention, see, if he's, uh, see if he's in the right mood. So, he may want he may want so paying for it. That's the only difference. So get your checkbooks ready. That's what I mean. It's okay, <laughs> Connor, Connor, will pay. Yeah. Um, there was one comment that he makes during the commentary about the the rules. So I don't know. I, I I'm I'm torn on whether to bring it up now or, or in the next section. So um, well, let's transition to the next section. Okay. Uh, go ahead and bring it up, and we'll transition onto there. So this was um, you know, and and PJ is often in this position of when you're commenting and you, you know, a decision gets made and then it goes to player review where there's some dead time. And like, what are you supposed to do? Just sit there and not, or, or actually uh, comment on what's going on and provide some context. And um, so is this situation in the finals where um, Amanda plays a straight, I believe a straight drive and then, um, but it's a little bit loose and she glues herself to the wall and uh, Sami's there and um, she calls for a let. Right. There's three options there. Um, boast um, anything to, towards the front wall. But she stops and she asks for a review. It comes out. Uh, um, the, the decision was a let and it comes back out. Hey, yes, let. And she starts arguing. She's like, what, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? This is like you had the entire front wall. It's like, but I wanted to play the boast, which, as you know, uh, um, if, if the ball is going towards the sidewall, it's an yeah, automatic yeah. let. It's a let ball. And 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 Jonathan brilliantly calls it out of like uh, I think she needs to work on her arguments because she's actually just confirming why it's a let. <laughs> so it's it a beautiful commentary, but it really highlights that the pros. I think there's the spirit of how the game should be played, and then there's the actual rules. And there really is a gap between you know I think PJ can uh, understand this where the pros who have or sorry the the referees who haven't played at that level maybe can't really experience the precision, the accuracy, the speed of what they can do to get all the balls versus, and the players certainly haven't absorbed the rules and case in point here with, with, with some phetically saying um, that was a, it should be something else when it's clearly a let. A hundred percent agree with you, Connor. And obviously the PSA are trying to make those shifts. I think it wouldn't do any harm if there was a, a bit of a sit down and a meeting between the referees, the players, and the PSA, just so we can get everybody singing from the same hymn book. Um, I do also agree that there is an added advantage for the referees if they've played at a high level, because exactly what you're talking about there, and I've missed this firsthand, I've been in referees' meetings, and you've got some experienced referees in there being shown clips on the screen, and they still cannot comprehend or come to grasp with the certain retrieval abilities of the players or judge the flight of a ball and the line a certain player will be taking or any sort of sense of what these professional players are capable of. And I think until you've been out in the court and experienced and witnessed that yourself, it's very, very hard. And you can have them in there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They just will never understand it. And that's why... We're going to talk about this point coming up, but the, the PSA now are looking to finally make a shift across and find a ways to encourage ex-professionals to come in to try and help with, with some of the refereeing situations that are, are presenting themselves. And It's very early stages, but I honestly feel that you're going to see a significant improvement in the general standard of the refereeing. Obviously, we also, like you say, we need to get the, some of the issue as well is the players because not all of the players actually know the rules as they're written. 
So there needs to be a communication in, in that department as well. But I think if we, as I said, get everybody in that meeting room and get everybody talking and explain what they're looking for, I think the game really will tidy up. So uh, that transitions, transitions us into our next topic, which um, our favorite uh, podcast, our colleague Barry Gibbs had on the InSquash podcast, had the PSA Tour CEO Alex Goff on over the weekend, and I, I gave it a listen. And one of the most intriguing parts and, or, and interesting parts of that conversation was the refereeing. And Barry talked and questioned about the rumors of their becoming professional refs, meaning the PSA Tour hiring people to be full-time referees like other sports, like basketball, like tennis, like football, like every major sport, basically, to professionalize it and where these folks basically aren't quasi-volunteers getting paid a stipend and then have to rush home to their jobs on Monday morning. Their job will be to ref. And um, uh, Alex was obviously very excited about it and there wasn't a lot of detail behind it it was more like we have to wait and see how it's going to pan out there's some negotiations to go that still have to go into it but where Alex was reticent and it's where I've been reticent as soon as I heard about it where I had some reticence about it was that these referees it's one thing if you had a whole stable of them and these are the people going to be refereeing the, the platinum tournaments or the gold level tournaments and there's 15 of them and they rotate in and they're all professional I don't think there's a budget for that I'm guessing so there's only going to be one or two of these folks to come in to start and Alex was was a little worried about, hey, so I so say I'm Bill Bucking. We don't know who these referees are at this point. I think there's heavy rumors out there that people may may have an idea who these uh, one or two professional referees are going to be. But just say I was one of them. So I've been refereeing these tournaments all along. I've been getting all the crap from the players because of my calls. And some people like me. Some people don't like me. Some people think I'm a good ref. Some people don't think I'm a good ref, blah, blah, blah. But now I'm a professional ref. I'm still going to go and referee these tournaments, right? And so extra pressure on me now that I'm a professional ref to be perfect, it's pretty overwhelming. And like, how do you overcome that as one of these designated professional refs when you are people know, and then you're in Alguna refereeing the title match of the men's or women's championship and the, the match is going awry. So like, how do you overcome come that stigma? Like you're the professional ref now need to be a better ref than you were three weeks ago when you weren't a professional ref. I think it's going to take a little while. I understand what you're saying, Bill, but I think he, he will start initially bringing in a, a couple of pro refs or um, ex-players maybe to help to try to filter out the, the generally higher quality of refereeing down through the system, through the pyramid, so to speak. I think the, it, the whole refereeing aspects of the game will become more professional. So if there are referees who aren't maintaining a certain level of refereeing, if the certain number of decisions, a certain percentage of the decisions that they're giving within a match aren't above a certain point, then they're going to be let go or, or kept out of certain events. I just think it, the whole product will become a lot more tighter knit and a lot more professional from, from the top filtering in, in its way down. So will these referees that they bring in, will they be responsible for that, for, for doing that, for basically professionalizing, like, so for teaching, for, you know, for the professional development, will, will they be responsible for that? So they're not just going to come in, get paid because they're the top refs and get sent to the top tournaments. They're actually going to have a job and it's going to be to run clinics and to basically make, uh, raise up the, the, the level of the rest I of the mean, referees. I don't know. Correct? I don't know enough details about it, but my guess would be that exactly that. So these guys will still go away and referee the, maybe the top 10 uh, world tour 
events, the the platinum events and what have you, the the super the series, the super series finals or the world tour series events, and then after that, outside of that, that's not where their work will finish. They will be then asked to go along and do camps and clinics and uh, maintain communications with the potential up and coming referees to try and bleed that knowledge through the system of the refereeing which I think at the moment is it's quite hard for them to do that. So it will be a full-time responsibility for these coaches coming in, as opposed to, as you said there, you've got these referees turn up at the moment and we fully respect and appreciate their efforts, but they're coming home on a Sunday night to then start work on a Monday morning and then they'll forget about the refereeing until the next event, whereas this will be a much more professional setup. Right. I think this is also... Um, I mean, it's what is needed as the first step towards really cracking the solution. And um, the budgets will have to grow. Uh, we'll have to get more uh, people at that caliber uh, and at that uh, paid level to, 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 to get there. I think this also signals a big step between, I think refereeing has really fallen on the, traditionally on the WSF side and then also with local governing bodies like U.S. Squash. Uh, in the, here in the U.S., this is really um, signaling that the PSA is taking uh, significant ownership of this and trying to create their own um, pool of referees dedicated towards the Pro Tour. That's what that signals to me. So are there ex-pro players who expressed interest to becoming part of this? Is any, do we know that? Is that is that anything as you guys are pointing out? Like to, it, it is important that these referees know and understand the abilities of these pro players and maybe have been there before so to influence their calls it, it, are are there are, are there such people out there that are looking to do this i mean what i've seen over the years is we've all identified that that is what is needed and there's been a gap between those ex psa players who are willing to actually step forward and do that and i think we can identify if we all agree that that is the uh, the desired solution or the greed people haven't in my, what I've seen is no one's been willing to step up. Got so it, I got it. Well, no, under, understood. And, and I think I pointed this out after uh, the, the Chicago tournament, uh, the satellite event that I did, I worked at in October when the players had a referee losing player, had a referee the next match. And although their calls weren't any better or worse that I saw than the, uh, than the professional referees, the difference was, was the respect that they were given by the players on the court. So I think, and I think that's really half the battle. If the players respect the referee, there's going to be less um, dissent and less arguments uh, regarding the calls that they make. I think initially until. <laughs> right? right. That's and, the point, right? Initially. Initially, until, I right. think you're going to get, you know, under, if, if the, if this direction plays out the way we all think it could, I think we'll buy a certain level of trust and then it's going to still come down to um, that. But one thing that, struck out to me of this and just occurred to me how, how many of these PSA players have actually passed a referee test yeah. and you wouldn't I'd be curious well for Formula One driving if they want to drive on the streets they have to pass a regular driver's test you know and so like what, what is the uh, if we were to give a referee test to these players how well would they do and and I think that should be if I were doing this I would actually make all the, the, the players do that that is what we instituted at US Squash uh, everyone had to, um, if you're going to participate in the junior tour, you have to pass a referee test. So that would be my one throwing out, lobbing out solution to see how these pros would I do. I think if you, were to, if you were to do it initially PJ? and straight away, I think you'd be quite surprised how some of the players will struggle because of the lack of the knowledge of the rules. I think once, as I said, you get the players in the room and they're given a directive and explained exactly how they're going to be refereed and these are the official rules 
I just think that then you would start to see a bit of a shift and a change, and then the the players' quality would would come to the top, without a shadow of a doubt. It'd just be a just be a matter of time because they've expi- they've been out there, they're going through it themselves, they're living it. So for them to then watch and, and comment on it, I, I think it would it would be a a big difference. Yeah. Well, and Bill, I think uh, you'll you'll see how quickly I'm outside my depth here. But if you're doing like pickup basketball versus college basketball versus pro basketball, like there's different ways that uh, and cultures of how uh, rules are enforced, right? Oh, geez, if you watch the difference between college basketball and pro basketball, there's different rules. Yeah. I mean, there there are literally different rules. Yeah. And if you watch, you know, the way the traveling, the Euro steps, the the, the college basketball is officiated so much more closely than NBA basketball. It's, it's, it's very, the differences are very stark. So I don't think there is that kind of dichotomy between like college squash and and pro squash. Or it's not as explicit, right? So then this Mm -hmm. is where there's a culture of how it should be versus no, this is what it's going to be. And I think that's what, um, to, to reinforce what PJ is saying without that person that is really setting that culture tone and reinforcing it, you know, tournament to tournament, you know, bringing those, and I agree, it's it's the players, it's the referees, and it's the pro squash because um, in, ultimately the pro squash is um, enforcing those rules, like whether it's fining or the tribunal that just occurred with with the Saul, um, you know, right. those kind of things. Right. No, well, speaking of that, so the, so the give the Barry the Barry Gibbs uh, podcast a listen. Alex was very interesting, and one of the other things that came about was uh, Alex Goff basically. Um, reiterated what PJ said that you could put all the noise aside of the assault conspiracy theories. And he was suspended because of, uh, his, his actions his on court. On court. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, and that's really Alex, Alex said, you could put all this other stuff aside. That's what he was suspended for. And Alex did admit that the, uh, the, um, the, the speed of, of which it was all adjudicated needs to be better. He agreed with that. He just, uh, he said in the end, the right thing was done. I think it also highlights and y- you almost wish this would happen more, where hearing it directly from Alex Goff, the CEO of PSA, was really helpful color, right? We're, if we're reading a press release or just reading it there, mm-hmm. it's it's not it's not the conversation that can occur. And so the the insights I learned there was, and you kind of knew what was happening, but just adding that human color was it was an independent tribunal, which then right. they didn't really have set up, so they had to set it up, which obviously would take time. Um, they had to, you know, both sides had to present their case. Um, so when this is something new going on and, you know, I, I, I mean, it kind of quickly jumped for me to like, well, just have a standing independent committee ready to go and you tap them in, right? Those are probably the, the mechanisms they'll put in place, but it was helpful to hear that. And, um, yeah, yeah the timing was what it was. And, uh, ultimately, like you said, it, the evidence on court was what was the sentence was passed down on. All right. So, uh, let's, let's round up. I did want to mention, um, did you guys watch the uh, pickleball uh, slam I, this weekend? The one million dollar pickleball slam on ESPN. I, I didn't, but I saw the that this was coming up, and it was really it highlighted to me. I really wanted to watch it. Um, I mean, some of my f- icons uh, that I grew up watching playing. I was like, you know what? That's interesting. Um, so, so no, I didn't see it. So why don't you get give the the context and the. And no, kind of the Brian brothers were not on there. So not to disappoint you, I know those are the icons that you're talking about because I know you're such a big Brian brother fan. Um, uh, no, it was, so it was a million dollar pickleball challenge, believe it or not. And God, I mean, good for pickleball being able to do this. Um, and it was with Andy Roddick and Andre Agassi, Michael Chang and John McEnroe. 
And they all played singles first, and then they had a, the doubles match for the million dollars. It was Roddick and uh, Agassi against Chang and McEnroe. So I think I, I, you got pickleball on TV. Good for pickleball, right? They're on ESPN on a Sunday before, like, the golf starts, before the Women's National Championship basketball starts. It's kind of a lull between the, ma- the Masters is next weekend. So it's kind of a lull weekend uh, uh, for events. So they did get it on. I think... I mean, if it weren't for John McEnroe, it would have been completely unwatchable. Pickleball is unwatchable on t- on TV. It is. I mean, it's just not a fun sport to watch. And McEnroe made it watchable just with his almost choreographed choreographed histrionics and yelling and screaming. And he did the, he did his John McEnroe thing to the hilt, and it was compelling viewing just for that. I think what would have been better off is for pickleball to be maybe shown like with the regular professional pickleball players playing like leading up to this. And then you show that because nobody's going to want to watch the regular pickleball tour on TV after watching that, because if McEnroe wasn't involved, you would never watch that again. Cause it was God awful. Really? The sports feeling just terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, pickleball again, it looks like a blast to play and all the players did certainly amplified that and said it was so much fun to play. And it looks like a lot of fun to play for sure. And I played it a couple of times and it, it's somewhat fun. Um, but these guys are very good, obviously very good with rackets in their hands. But as far as from a viewing point, wow. it's worse than ping pong. What's, what's the odd worse than watching with table it then? Tennis. Because I'm seeing NBA stars buying teams. We've got this million dollar challenge here. Um, I've heard that the sport has grown 158.6% in three years. They got thirty six and a half million players in the US yeah. alone. Um, here's here's one for you: fourteen yep. percent of over eighteen year olds played last year. Fourteen percent over eighteen year olds played last year. Yeah, in the US played pickleball. Fourteen yeah, percent in the United States. Yeah. Wow. I well, I. I I think the reason why it's so popular is that the barrier to entry is, is very low. You, it, you do not have to be skilled in order to have fun, which is unusual for a lot of sports, right? I mean, to play tennis, play squash, obviously, you know, you go out there with a like dead squash ball, you're just not going to have any fun. So I think the barrier to, ent- to, to actually to the, en- to the entry of the sport is so low, and that's where all the play is. So if you get all of these people playing, it's, and it's popular because of that, because of the amount of people who actually play. But at the no. highest levels, it's just not no. fun. It's not a fun no. viewing experience. It just is not. So it's participatory. I totally agree. You said it really well. I enjoy playing it. It's fine. It's but w- watching the high level pros is it's just boring. I don't get the dinking. I don't like that. It's uh, even when it goes fast. It's like um, I mean, I prefer badminton when you see the reflexes for 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 that than you do in pickleball. So yeah, I'm, right. And but but it's I mean, it's. It is, there is no argument. It is the most successful uh, rise of a racket sport ever in history. I think it's it's north of 30 million, maybe 40 million, on track for 40 million Americans yeah, participating within million, it. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. I think, I think, but by the way, PJ, you've definitely done well more, done. Uh, more research on this than you have for any well, topic like to we've ever brought up on this podcast ball. before. You know. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering why in the beginning of this podcast, when we were going over uh, the part that's edited out, when we we're going over what we were going to talk about, you threw out. Are we going to talk about pickleball? Right, right guys? Remember you said that? We're going to talk about it? So it was it, guys. It was on the memo yesterday, your suggestion. So I obviously, consummate professional went away and didn't. He doesn't care if we're going to talk about the British Open or anything like that, anything squash related. Pickleball. Pickleball. I'm it's fed good. up with talking all the, uh, you know, the Mustafa Sow incidents and, you know, leave the poor kid alone and just, just you know, 
just, let him be. Let Mustafa just, live. Exactly. Leave leave the man alone. <laughs> just get on with it. Let's talk about something. You know. So so next week we w- we will talk about the British Open because the British Open will have uh, will be starting a little bit little more imminent. But just looking uh, now, the lead up happens right, uh, and there's not a, no real squash between now and then. So the players are getting amped up for this, and this is uh, as we talked about. It's probably the most prestigious tournament in the world, and everyone besides John Ashia and Mustafa Sall are playing in it. So. Yeah. It is the most prestigious, not almost. It is. We're hands down. Okay. Hands right. down, the most yeah. prestigious. This 100%. is what players played for back in back in the day. This was the World Open. Right. So it's, for, it's, I mean, for know, the sweaters and wooden it, racket folks, this is big it's, for sure. It's the Wimbledon, the Wimbledon of squash. 100%. I would exactly. still say Wimbledon's the most prestigious. Wimbledon, Wimbledon. Is that with a D? No T. No T, Bill. No T. Okay. Right. Straight up D. All right, so so just a, a brief uh, glimpse into into the British Open is I think the 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 interesting part of it, like besides obviously the whole tournament is going to be interesting, is the fact that the first two rounds are going to be played at, on traditional courts, no glass courts. Edgbaston Priory, Edgbaston Priory Club, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, pretty crazy. And so I was just looking at some of the possible uh, some of the second round matchups that are actually going to happen. Gawad uh, Karim El Gawad. <laughs> <laughs> as I refer as I refer to him as, uh, is going to play Miguel Angel Rodriguez in in the second round, and on, on a traditional court. That's that's some matchup that, that yep. is going to you know for a second round. And then Macon against Diego, Joel Macon against Diego Alex, a second round match on a traditional court. Incredible, right? Two unbelievable second round matchups. Um, yeah. You would have to say that the traditional court would possibly favor. Rodriguez against Gawad in that particular matchup. Having said that, Gawad's confident again after his win. They'll be coming in, you know, looking forward to that, but a very, very tough matchup second round for him. This, for me, the making and Elias lineup is, I mean, that's a, that's a juicy affair on, on any court, but a lot of people actually don't give Elias enough respect on those traditional courts. He, he took down Paul Cole in Detroit. Detroit, I think it yeah. Was. Everybody, yeah, everybody just as soon as they saw it was on the, you know, the, the glass back, you know, brick style courts. They put Cole down as he would just make the rallies too long and, and too arduous for Elias over time, break him down. But Elias took him out in three. So Elias has still got the ability to, you know, put players away on those, I give give Elias a choice and an option. He would prefer the glass, but the boy can still play and do do damage on that traditional style court. So, I think that potentially could be an absolute cracker and a potentially, I won't say a damaging match for the winner, but whoever comes through that, I think is going to certainly take uh, take some residual stiffness into the following round or two that's for sure i mean that could last that could uh, really that could last like 100 minutes right yeah oh, it's got yeah. 90 minutes it's got 90 minutes written all over it 100 yeah. percent. Yeah. that'd be shocking yeah. if it went below that um i mean part of this will be uh Ma- how is macon's body recovering after the season where he's been up to i think it's been plenty of my i suspect that there have been enough time for him to make a full recovery but uh diego is also gonna be pretty fresh so Right, right, right. Um, and uh, on the women's side, uh, first, uh, uh, tomato, ho, tomato, tomato ho against Hana Motaz in the first round. Not, not quite on the epicness level of the Elias Macon match, but still, two of my all, two of my favorite players fighting it out in the first round. No, no, <laughs> no, com- no, no comments, guys. Comments. I mean, That's all you, Bill. I know. I was That's like to, to pull that out of uh, of all the matchups. I mean, I I get it, Bill. I get. It. We get it. Okay. We all okay. get it. Okay. 
So, so just a question. What about the we'll, Klein we'll versus Sobe first round? You know, Klein, Klein, Klein versus Amanda Sobe. Uh, that's a, I think it's actually a second round matchup. Well, um, first, correct, but it's yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, and um, about Simi Chan versus Siva Sub Romanian. Did you just want it in the in the in the first, in the first round the, the CSA uh, championship matchup playing each other in the first? round. Is this just also your way of like I can say it, guys. Look, at, I can't say. It. I absolutely can say. Do you want to give it? Why don't you give it with your you, MC voice? And no, I can't. Do and that. next I, I on gotta, court, I gotta save that. <laughs> no, I gotta, I gotta save that. It's, it's, so, it's, do it's, we? It's, just for the record, it's Supermanian. Oh That's what I said. no, sorry, Bill. We listened to it back. It you didn't actually say it properly. What I say? Supermanian? No, but we'll we'll listen to it back. You can never listen to it. Is back. it is it Supermanian? Supermanian. Supermanium. So yeah. it's Subra Manium. Yes. Okay. I've been told Manium like Romania. Okay. Well, you speak, case? speak okay. your speak your source. I'm just so, glad, I'm just delighted to see her back on tour. And this is a lady who actually oh was yeah in a near a near fatal car crash. You know, less than a year ago. And I know that she's not 100 percent fully recovered yet. And they're but they're they're working on a few. Um, of the, the limitations that she's got with, with the swing and, and what have you. But the fact that she's back out there on court competing on the Pro Tour is just, I mean, a massive respect to her. When she, and after, when she clears yeah. college, I mean, she's going to be just a beast. I mean, she's already right now, uh, balancing all that, she's um, an unbelievable, unbelievable player. She reminds me a lot of her movement um, of Nicole David. Sort of the similar build, more power, then... more powerful than Nicole though. A hundred percent. Yeah, more powerful. It... Nicole is obviously very dainty and light-footed, blistering pace. But what you see with Subramanian is that elegance of movement and grace, but with a real element of power in it as well, which is unbelievable. You know, I mean, amazing. Well, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping she's not looking past this this tournament because I know at uh, mid-April after this tournament ends, she's actually playing in in uh, although. Some people say the British Open is one of the most prestigious, and I know you guys say it is the most prestigious. Actually, there's talk of the the Connecticut uh, racket, at the Connecticut Kinetic Racket Club is hosting a 30k <laughs> women's event in which Siva is going to be the fourth seed. Mm. So I know that that's probably highlighted on her calendar. So is there um, any particular you may, you may want? Is there any particular reason why we should tune in, Bill? Maybe tune in. I, I hear. I hear that they they hired the number four MC in the uh, in 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 the Northeast to, to work that event. So if you guys are so inclined and you want to turn into the uh, Kinetic Racket YouTube channel, well, I look to, forward to, to the prize giving. Okay, that's for sure. Pro- oh, oh my the, God! My, if, do you want to? No pressure. Do you want to give oh, us? I, I, oh, the what's the recipe to success there? Oh. Plan ahead. Maybe get maybe yeah. get the tables and the trophy. Get, maybe get the to- tables and the banners out before you start introducing people. It's or, pretty basic. Or, or alcohol. <laughs> or, or alcohol. So before we go, let's have two predictions. So um, and PJ, uh, you know, we won't bet because you know, as far as the betting, we never actually end up paying our bets. Um, the British Open. Who do we have for uh, winning the British on the men's and women's side? Uh, PJ, go first. Okay, I'm going to go ladies first. I really struggled to see. Anybody toppling Goha? I'm not quite sure what she's been up to since uh, the last event. But I just feel that she would have had a chance to get some good work in with Rodney. If if she's if the wrist's okay and the body's fine and she's injury-free, just the way the draws are matching up, you look at the bottom half of the draw, you've got uh, El Shabini's going to have to play Hania again uh, in that semi-final mm-hmm. place. Those two tend to take a lot out of each other physically going into the final and Gohard does such a good job of 
getting through early rounds in such, you know, quick fire fashion. She'd have so much in the tank. And I think she'll continue that dominance that we've seen over the last 12 months. Um, men's event. Men. In the men's event, I still don't feel that Farag is back to 100% fitness. Elias has a tough draw down at the bottom half. I can't, I, I can't see anybody beating Paul Cole in the men's. I think he's got a good draw. He's playing well. He played very well in Canary Wharf. Something clicked for him, he said, at that event. And I think he'll take a lot of confidence going in. He won the event last year. He likes playing um, the British Open. Now he's got that kind of monkey off his back. And I think he'll be, he'll be a tough man to beat in Birmingham. Connor? Uh, I'll do the same. Go women's first. Um, PJ, uh, I agree with him on the Goha. However, just to, to add, to make some sort of prediction and put, put it out there, I actually think uh, Victor has a chance to make a run to the semis. Uh, I like the way the draw is matching up for her. and um, So that's um, uh, my, my true, one of my predictions. Uh, on the men's side, I think Sherbagi, you know, home soil for him. Uh, will make uh, an interesting run. Uh, I don't think he'll he'll be able to clinch it, but um, I'm. I think semi. Uh, I mean, I think he could be a finalist here. Any, any uh, um, no like no doubts after the uh, Optasia? I think with something like that, PJ, you sometimes see them bounce back stronger. Yeah. So that's part of my calculation. I think it will all it will all all boil down to how his body is. Yeah, because he right, looked like right, there were yeah. some some issues there with the movement, and if he's recovered from that, then then you may have a case. But just w- with his so, with his movement, I think uh, he'll, he'll need to be one hundred percent physically. Right. Uh, on on the women's side, I'm going to go with Tomato Ho. Um, I think she's going to surprise everyone after beating Montaz in the first round and make a strong run. And if for some reason Tomato doesn't doesn't make the run to the finals, I'm going to I'm going to pick an upset and say Amanda Sobey is going to win her major. This is where Amanda's going to win her major, and uh, uh, she she's ready for it. She's coming off the Canadian Open. She I, I I'm assuming she played the Canadian Open for a reason to get ready for this tournament. She's the top and dog so in the Sobey household. She is the top dog in the Sobey household. So that uh, I'm going to take Amanda. And on the men's side, uh, uh, for for fear of agreeing with um with uh, with PJ, I also think Paul Call is going to win the British Open. Um, I'm not rooting for him, but uh, I do I do think he is going to win. So um, last prediction: one player. Masters is coming up this weekend. Golf, Tiger Woods. Our, I mean, we're we're obviously like we like squash, but golf is our favorite sport. Uh, Connor, Tiger Woods, PJ, Scotty Scheffler. He's, right. a, he's the man it. of consistency right now. He just won the Dell uh, World Match Play, and he loves he, he you know he loves Augusta. I can't see anybody getting past him. So I, I also should preface uh, I, I, I haven't seen. Um, any of the draws, you could have told me Tiger Woods wasn't playing. I probably was, so that was just. They don't, I, well, there's not really draws in golf, but whatever. It's fine, Connor. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Matt. I, I want Max Holman to win, so I'm going to root for him. I I, I think uh, my dream scenario is that we have one of the live one of the live players in the final group on Sunday. I've given that a little bit of thought. I, I'm so interested to see how those guys fare coming into a four day event. It'll be like players playing Canary Wharf 11 months of the year and then all of a sudden they got to come in and play the, the British Open which is a best of five you know these the live right, tour players right. are playing three day events and now they're coming into yep. a four day event you'd like to yep. think that these guys are fit enough but if you're if you're used to peaking and, and 
competing over a three-day time frame and then all of a sudden you have to add, add an extra day on top of that. that that could be a little bit of an adjustment um, these guys are professionals so i'm what, sure they would have taken that into consideration but well what about the converse of that that now your body's way more rested and just playing that one extra day you know it's 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 not yeah. so much the the body it's more the mind kind of thing from a mental standpoint the, these guys have to yeah be in that zone for four hours continually really they switch off in between shots but it, it takes a lot of them out takes a lot out of them mentally to get through a round of golf and to do that to win any struggle. major is is tough yeah. but I struggle on one hole to keep concentrated. <laughs> uh, seriously, I I honestly think the biggest the biggest difference will be the fact that uh, and I don't know the courses they're playing on the Live Tour, but they're not playing championship setup courses. I don't believe like like the PGA Tour players are. Mm. So I think the conditions at the Masters will be more of a factor than in the speed of the greens and just the little subtleties that that, that always grind down every player at the Masters. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the Live Tour players have been playing those type of courses. I know the one they played this past weekend in Orlando was certainly not that. So I think that will be more of a factor is uh, that they, they won't, they're, they're not prepared to play a course like the Masters. And I think that's why it would be interesting to see them go play the U.S. Open, play the PGA and play the other majors in those kind of setups and see if the Live Tour has prepared them for that. Astute, astute commentary by Bill, by that, the way. Thank you. That was like, you you knew you were going to bring this up and you actually prepared. That, well done. Exa- well, P- PJ, me, me, PJ with pickleball, me with golf. We, we know what sports we really love. So there and you go. And me just, so, me just uh, limping in. All right. Exactly. All right, guys. Well, it's good to see you again. Um, and we'll leave you with this. Um, heart so full. Uh, yeah. Jana, tweet last week. Heart so full. So shout out, Jana. That's good. Great. Should we, should we say goodbye? And... Thanks for listening to another show on SQR Squash Radio. We really do appreciate you taking the time to listen. And we have a quick ask. In an effort to help us grow, if you have a quick minute please consider sharing an episode with a friend who might be interested or leaving a rating on any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast. It would mean a lot to me and the rest of the team. Thanks so much and have a great day.